Privatization used to be fashionable, but now state capitalism is in the news. Which is more efficient and which way should we go? Welcome to Pocket Economics, our podcast about the ideas which are shaping the EBRD regions and beyond. I'm Svetlana Pyrkalo and our guest today is Professor William Megginson, Price Chair of Finance at the University of Oklahoma in the United States. Hello. Hello. Good to be with you. Thanks for joining us. So uh, you and your co-author Gabriel Latencio published uh, two papers recently on privatizations, on successful ones and on less successful or even withdrawn ones. Uh, could you tell us a bit about those papers? So one is called the political and financial economics of withdrawn privatizations and the other one is privatization, state capitalism and state ownership of business in the 21st century. So That's uh, correct. A mouthful, but oh, what, it is what a mouthful. The, uh, uh, the second one is a survey paper, actually. It's not new research. It summarizes other, other people's research, including some of my own. So I'll start with the first one on the withdrawn privatization, which is with Gabriel Latanzio, a very, very capable doctoral student. Uh, the idea here is to look at uh, privatizations when governments decide to privatize companies, state-owned enterprises. They will prepare them. They'll get them ready, and it'll usually take several years. Uh, and the question is, um, do they actually have to go all the way through privatization, actually have the sale, to see performance improvements and for them to be permanent? So we look at those companies, all the ones that started the privatization process, compare those that ultimately did succeed, that did have a privatization, with those lesser, about 7% of the total, for which they went all the way through the process up to the point of sale and then withdrew the privatization, with the, the failed privatization, and see if they're different. And what we find is that for the <clears throat> the ones that actually, both of the, the both groups, those that ultimately succeeded and those that uh, did not were withdrawn, in the lead up to the event, to the privatization sale, they both improved, and they both improved roughly the same amount. The difference is those that, uh, that were actually privatized, that were actually sold, the performance lasted and even got better after they were successfully privatized. Those where they were unsuccessful and they were withdrawn after being launched, the gains reverted. They were reabsorbed and they just went away. So the key, the key difference is uh, if you actually, in preparation, it has performance improvement, getting companies ready to be privatized. If they are privatized, the gains last. If they are not privatized, the gains disappear. Very interesting. Let's uh, take a step back to uh, to definitions. Uh, usually in these podcasts, we start <coughs> with a definition of, of a term. And here we, we're discussing two terms, really. Yes. One is what is privatization. And what you say is privatization is not really what, what the majority of us think it is. And another one is this buzz term, uh, state capitalism. Mm -hmm. So what are those things? Okay, uh, very good question. And I, I get this quite frequently. Privatization can mean a number of things. In, in, in my home country, the United States, privatization means you take a... A, a privately owned but publicly traded company and you do a leverage buyout that goes private. That's not what we mean here. We, when private means here is public versus private ownership, government ownership versus ownership by private investors. So privatization means transactions, sales that reduce government ownership where the government will sell part or all of its stake in a company either 
directly to an investor or another company, or they list it on the stock market and sell some of their shares. So, so um, I'm from, I, I grew up in the last years of the Soviet Union, and I remember the, the sort of first years of the, of the wild capitalism yes. in, in Ukraine and in, in other Eastern European countries. And to us, privatization was always 100%. We didn't think of privatization as uh, under 50%, so you are a shareholder. Yes. I mean, uh, to us, privatizations were these terrible things yes, no. with vouchers, and it was, yeah. uh, it was a disaster. So you say that the majority of privatizations are actually part ownership by private investors. Rather of the than big ones. That's absolutely correct. And you, you make a, a very good point. In Central Europe, Central and Eastern Europe is how I, we were, I used to call it, um, they were, there was, privatization was done a very different way. You didn't have a, an established markets. You didn't have a lot of wealth, and you wanted to turn to private ownership very rapidly as you democratized. So what they did, because of the constraints, is essentially they gave the companies away. They gave the governments gave shares to citizens uh, in these companies. So not there was no real money changing hands. They gave the the companies to the citizens. The thought being, once citizens have these shares. Um, a stock market will develop or they'll trade the shares and you'll go ahead and have real corporate governance materialize. So yes, they were 100% privatized. Uh, when you actually sell a company as an asset sale is what it's called, where you sell the entire company to another, the state owns a company, sells it to another investor or another company, that's usually 100%. You sell all the ownership. With a share issue privatization where you're selling on the stock market, these tend to be very large and you couldn't sell 100%, it's just too big. So you'll sell them in pieces, You'll 10% or 25%, usually. So the first privatizations almost never, in share issue privatization, the first privatizations almost never involve 50%. So the government, even after the transaction, is the majority owner. Right, so everything we knew about privatizations uh, uh, from 1990s in Eastern and Central Europe, that's almost all wrong. No, so it's I not wrong, it's, it's, <laughs> it's unique to that region. So in China the world, does it differently too. So China and the rest of the world does it differently, uh, and it's still controversial. We'll talk, <laughs> to that, talk about that later. But I guess some of this controversy and some of the the political um, feelings about privatizations, including those ones from the nineties, gave rise to uh, to the second definition we're talking about, which is state capitalism. W what is this, and wh why did it appear? Okay, state capitalism is largely uh, a result of the rise of two countries. Uh, the re rebirth, if you will, of, of Russia as a, as a major economic player, more importantly, China. State capitalism is, uh, in the old days, the, the 90s and before, governments in the West, uh, democratic governments, would own the telephone companies, would own the electric companies, would own outright and operate these companies. State capitalism, has well, it's evolved, is that the government usually doesn't operate it as a ministry but they'll still have a big ownership stake, often controlling ownership stake. But they'll be, uh, they'll be uh, operated more or less along commercial lines. So like a state property fund or sovereign yes. wealth fund can own a company exactly. which, yes. is, which has a CEO, has a board, it has, yeah. but the The government is still in yeah. control. But it's, it's not operated as a ministry. It's at least theoretically operated as a commercial as a company. But it's the government owns owns it, and in particularly in places like China, is the worst case or the, the most extreme case. You, for key industries, there's no competition. Uh, the the telecom sector is entirely state owned. The oil sector is entirely state owned. Most of the OPEC countries, it's the national oil companies, it's 100% state owned. So part of the state capitalism is is government owns 
key sectors. They tried to build them up into national champions, big enough to compete internationally. And you can you so with China, China, the biggest thing that has happened with China, they have continued to privatize and reduce the government stake. It's just that China has grown so rapidly that their model it looks like it's becoming triumphant just because China has done so well. It's grown three times faster than the West. So, and uh, you kind of know the numbers. In 2001, China was 3% of the world GDP, world economy. By 2015, it was 14%. So you've had a massive increase in China. Uh, to remind you, you're listening to the EBRD podcast Pocket Economics. I'm Svetlana Kurkalo, and our guest today is Professor William Megginson from the University of Oklahoma. Professor, you just started talking about numbers. Let's keep with the numbers for a little bit. And uh, what I found interesting in your papers is how little privatizations actually comprise of the global GDP. So mm -hmm. we talk about them so much, maybe because they are, they are interesting news stories, they're in the headlines. But in terms of uh, even the combined amount of privatizations, uh, you say from 1970s is what, 3.8 trillion? It's little, little a little less than 4 trillion, 3.8 trillion dollars. Uh, That's correct. Of course, it's unimaginable amount to any human being. There's a lot of money. But uh, what, is, what is the annual privatization amount in compared to the global GDP? Okay, the global GDP, to the extent that you can measure it, is something around $85 trillion dollars. And global privatizations in the last several years have averaged a little over $200 billion. So you do the math, and it's, a, it's less than one quarter of 1%. Right. So it is, in a macroeconomic sense, it is not hugely important. Now, in terms of capital markets, the, the fraction of total financing, it's much more. But in terms of the, the, the overall macroeconomics, no, it's not, it's not first-order impact at all. Now, for, key, for the way people live, it tends to impact them pretty directly because it impacts their telephone service, the media, the electricity, transportation. So it impacts people's lives. But in an economic sense, it is, it's important, but not dominant by any means. Another interesting thing was, um, and this is something that lots of people don't think about, we, when we talk about privatization, we imagine formerly state-dominated economies, or currently state-dominated economies, a lot of which is in the EBRD region, a lot of which are former totalitarian states, and we imagine mm -hmm. that they are the ones with lots of state property. What you're saying, though, that the country with the biggest uh, dollar amount of state property is, is the United States, and then the, the countries with the largest... Uh, largest assets to be in principle privatized are not really the post-communist countries. No, it's going to be the rich countries of the West. Uh, in fact, it, one of the th the, it's a bit off the topic, but let me diverge briefly. There's a, a, a large body of literature that looks at what is the importance of the, the government in, a, in a, an economy. How much fraction of the government, of the economy, does the government take? And the, the most important factor is rich democratic countries. The government is much more important in democratic countries and in rich countries than it is in poor countries and totalitarian. Uh, so it's rich, rich citizens of the West want government services and are willing to pay for them. So when we're talking about the, uh, you know, the Washington consensus of liberal economic approach about private, the private entrepre entrepreneurs are the best way to run the business, mm -hmm. uh, and we're always talking about uh, emerging economies, why, if, if this is so great, and if the uh, uh, liberal economies of the West 
mm-hmm. believe in privatization so much. So why is that hap- not happening in the West? And in fact, why in the recent uh, years the idea of privatization uh, is is taking a back track, or even in this country, in the United Kingdom, is fairly unfashionable, and there are now calls for re-nationalization I of know, a number of yeah. assets. That it, it's perplexing to me, actually, in many ways outside of the emerging markets. Well, one thing in China, it actually has continued to, to pri- uh, privatize. The, the state's role in the Chinese economy has been declining monotonically for, for four decades. So it, it's still important. But it, uh, state-owned enterprises are less than 10% of GDP in China, actually. State-owned enterprises. State-owned enterprises so are less. Much, much less than the United much, Kingdom or United yeah, States. Or, or were Western at the Europe. time, at the peak, before the 1970s. Uh, it was about 20 25% of the British economy were state-owned enterprises. So in China, it's perceived as being, and it is, a communist country. But it, the, the, the dominant, the, the dramatic sector, the growing sector is, is private, privately owned. That's been, so the state-owned enterprises are there. They dominate key industries, telecoms, electricity, oil, some manufacturing. But the really growing, vibrant parts of the Chinese economy are private. The, t- the high-tech and everything else is private. So privatization, uh, we were talking, it's politically sensitive in a lot of places, um, uh, and and it's it's not happening in places we think it is. Uh, so why is it why is it a good thing? Does it does it actually work? Yes, What's wrong with having a, a well-run state-owned enterprise? Is there is there such a thing? That's actually? what that's the problem. Is a well-run state enterprise? Singapore. I mean, the, you can find examples. Singapore is often rightly held up. They're the the they're most of the top firms in Singapore are state-owned enterprises. They are run separately. They are run, the state owns them, but they don't interfere. So you can have it. Theoretically, it is, you could have a a state-owned enterprise that was efficient. Experience shows it's very hard to pull off. Very hard to have that for a number of reasons. One, you don't have a real owner for, uh, if you you own a company, it's yours, you pay attention to it. If a government owns it, who really, uh, in whose interest is it being operated? They tend to be politicized. So you have uh, employment that's higher than it should be. You have capital investment in the wrong places, but they make political sense rather than economic sense. You don't invest. So the experience shows that state-owned enterprises are much less efficient than, than private ownership. I would take it as axiomatic that that's generally going to be the case. Uh, and experience shows that. But theoretically, no. That you, uh, ownership should not be the only thing that matters. In your papers, you have, uh, in both of your papers, with uh, Gabriel Latantio, you have lots of numbers proving that privatizations I'm a finance professor. We do do this. (laughs) And a lot of other people's research, which largely proves the same point. Um, And uh, your your paper on withdrawn privatization also looks then at at, at why people decide to not go ahead with it. So you have a medium-sized state. It's poor. It needs money for the budget. It has uh, an enterprise, which is sort of okay, and uh, then the state decides, okay, we, we, can, we can sell this off. Starts improving it, things go well, uh, efficiency <laughs> imp- increases, and then for political reasons or whatever other reasons, the U- privatization... Usually political, yeah. So what happens? Why, d- why do people change their minds about selling their state-owned uh, assets, and is it a good idea to, to sort of pull these back? Are, but, well, there, there's out, about half the sample is China, but outside of China, these are democracies. So if, it, if in a democracy a, a policy proves unpopular or the opposition can muster a, a telling uh, attack, uh, they'll be withdrawn. This, these are democracies. So if it tends to be the ones that are withdrawn, when, it, when our empirics show that it's going to be the most efficient ones that are most likely to be withdrawn. 
In other words, those that are can be accused of being sold cheaply, the government can be forced to withdraw. On the other hand, if the, if the government is running a large deficit, it's more likely to go through because it needs the money. So the, the, the choice between whether you withdraw or complete the privatization is much more political than it is uh, financial. We run out of time. I would uh, ask you many more questions, but uh, the time is up, and thank you very much. Our guest today has been Professor William Megginson, Price Chair of Finance at the University of Oklahoma in the United States. Uh, your papers are available online, presumably, so everybody can see more, more of that fascinating data. Um, I'm Svetlana Pyrkalo, and this has been the EBRD podcast Pocket Economics. Share your thoughts with us um, at EBRD on Twitter and Facebook. Visit iTunes, SoundCloud at ebrd.com slash podcast to download previous episodes. Until the next time, goodbye and thank you very much, Professor. Thank you very much.